Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome back to Season 5 of Comic Book Nation, the only show that does it all for geek culture and the official podcast of comicbook.com. I'm here in the lovely CB Studios in Nashville, Tennessee with Connor Casey. You can say hi. I am Gotham's Reckoning. All right. And, oh, you are wearing a Bane shirt for some reason, even though we have no Batman content, but, you know, good for you for being I just got this shirt. It's really comfy. What up, Dark Sport? Oh, my God. Hey, good for you for being inspired, I say. Uh, also joining us on the call in this week is Mr. Matthew Aguilar. What's up, everybody? Shout out to Janelle Wheeler, our other co-host, who is still over in Lake Qua- uh, Lake I almost said Cuomo, <laughs> Lake Como, uh, enjoying her honeymoon with her husband and sending us awesome Star Wars throwback kind of uh, pictures to where Anakin wooed Padme and all that good stuff. So uh, we hope Janelle is continuing to enjoy her honeymoon and uh, has the best. And uh, we'd love to have her back soon if you could spare her uh, to kind of balance out this dude party we got going up here. But if you are now just joining us for Comic Book Nation and just getting into the show, be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platforms. We are on everything. uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts are the two biggest. And be sure to subscribe to the Comic Book Nation YouTube page, which is youtube.com backslash comic book, all one word, dash nation. We are dropping bonus episodes left and right as we continue to try to cover everything for this big, expansive geek culture. So this week alone, we will have a recap episode of Ahsoka Episode 7, the penultimate episode. After this episode comes out that you are watching live, we will also have spoiler breakdowns for Netflix's Castlevania Nocturne. That will be dropping right after we record this episode, as well as Matt's agenda. Power Rangers Cosmic Fury will get its own review and focus because we know that that uh, Comic Book Nation YouTube page loves them some Power Rangers. So Matt and a special guest will be joining us to break that down as well. So that's four episodes that we're knocking out this week for you guys. So be sure to subscribe to the pages so you can catch them all like Pokemon. All right, that's my whole spiel right up front. Let's get to the news because we got, as I said in the tweet I just sent out, boy, do we have a pretty thick show today. We have a lot to do. So let's start right up at the top with the news. The writer's strike is over, everybody. It's over. It's over. Hey. So the WGA strike has ended. And it's looking like 
they worked out a deal that is happy enough for everybody. But the real headline here is now that we got this kind of figured out, it's sounding like we may be headed to hopefully kind of getting the actor strike worked out as well. And then we could be back rolling, guys. But here's the, I mean, yes, we now this step had to be kind of made so that we could get Hollywood into some kind of production start, right? Yeah. The combination of the writers and the actors was like a death blow. The whole industry was kind of shut down and it, it wasn't looking good. I mean, just like our government shut down is looming. Um, it looked like we were getting to a hard red line point where, you know, production pipeline would dry up. You're talking massive costs for holding actors, productions, all this stuff. So, it, you know, we knew we were going to get there and we've been following this on this show for some time. But we didn't know, like, if people would buckle once we got to that point. And it looks like that they have. Now, I am not going to sit here and pretend to know everything that is in the finer print of this deal. I am not part. We are not part of the union. Nope. We do not do that. It. I'm not going to go into this because I so, feel like I'm just going to take uh, a massive L. But I'll, I'll, I'll just... Two main takeaways. It seemed like we've killed AI in the crypt. Uh, yeah. The New Deal says, hey, things like chat GPT can't outright no. write scripts. It can't rewrite scripts. Uh, writers can use it if they want to, but it, this is not the thing that is suddenly going to replace writers, which was the big concern that I, and I know a lot of people had. Uh, the second thing, the, the big takeaway is, you know, Labor Day was listed for a lot of people as like the, this is the cutoff date. If the strikes are over by this, forget anything getting off the ground before the start of the new year. So I still feel like we're gonna hit that dry period of, oh, some things uh, were in production that needs to get started back up, but we're gonna hit a big gap at some point in the next, probably we'll feel it early next year of, hey, there's just nothing out right now because we're trying to make up for the time we lost during the strike. Yeah, okay, here we go. Here are the big two takeaways. Connor nailed one. AI protections were put in place and they negotiated some kind of new payment structure for streaming residuals, which was the other big thing that they were all up in arms about. Mm -hmm. So those are two big victories for the writers. Those are kind of the modern things that we were trying to look for. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a whole bullet point. Oh, there, there's a ton when it comes to the money side of things, but... Yeah, there's that, like... yeah, that, that can always be fixed. It was, hey, can we make sure that machines don't take over? Yeah, no, like shout out to uh, Turn Up Charlie Ridgely, one of our favorite guests who, since becoming a dad, it's hard to get him on here, but he wrote this down and broke it all down the best I think I've seen it. So AI can't write or rewrite literary material. A writer can choose when to use AI for, it's up to the writers to choose when they use or employ AI in the process. Uh -huh. They have to know when anything they've been given is AI generated or not so that we can maintain the reality line. Uh, oh, and they put in protections for them for their union to kind of step in and deal with situations where they feel like this has been exploitive. Right. They got more foreign streaming residuals they got viewer-based streaming bonuses, uh, more streaming data baby. transparency, and premiums for pilot and backup scripts and things like that. 
The transparency yeah. one's going to be fascinating because yeah. that that double blind of Netflix never telling you how much a show is actually being <laughs> yeah. watched, how they record those views, and they only ever tell you this is the most watched thing ever. You just have to take our word for it. Uh, now we might have to finally be like, okay, this is how much people are actually watching. Well, our stuff. no, yeah. and here's the devil's bargain. Uh, the companies agreed to provide the guild subject to a confidentiality agreement the total numbers of hours streamed. So. What they basically said was, welcome to the Illuminati now. You know, just like we know, mm -hmm. but you can never tell anybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so they know within their own circle to negotiate, but they can't go out and start okay. like broadcasting, okay. which, you know, now that we have people getting, leaving jobs and hacking accounts and doing all that, again, it's going to be interesting I, to see how I have a feeling some up. leaked things might become a, an annual right. occurrence. Yeah, some leaks here. <laughs> As we've seen with Xbox, yeah, uh, nothing nothing stays under the, the curtain of confidentiality. No, but hopefully very, some... Very stop often. trying to buy Nintendo Xbox. What the hell? Some new uh, <laughs> story streams for comic book, hopefully, where we get to a uh, new rumor source. Rumor source alert. All right. So this is good. I mean, this is good. If the writers are happy, we are happy. Congratulations to everybody for holding the line. And, you know, this was a real strike. Mm -hmm. This was organized effort. And a lot of people, you know, we saw a lot of famous people. We did a lot of articles and the famous people happily out there, with the, you know, not happily, but out there with the picket signs. But, you know, there were a lot more stories of people who were, this was actual food in their mouth, you know, do or die kind of stakes. So... We're happy and we hope that this does work out and that it actually shakes out in implementation as well. But um, that's it. The strikes is over there. We're helping for the actor strike to be over and for actors to get. I mean, it seems like you can build off this, right? Yeah. Like it's just simply flipping the legal language around to actors. Flip, flip the legal language, get rid of the whole, we can use your image and likeness forever. Get rid of that. Well, that's yeah. the big thing, right? Because yeah. now, you know, SAG has approved the video game side strike mm -hmm. um so it's it now shifts right they have other things they can other aces up their sleeve you know so and marvel's vfx they have different, unionized i'm some sure of the language have opinions, can flip animators like, visual effects artists arguments. Yeah. it's all it's all gonna i feel like it'll steamroll but if they were proactive they should just start rolling this out i mean i know it's the business acumen to wait until things happen you know until you finally do something but mm -hmm. It seems like it would be prudent and even a good sign of faith to just, like we said, flip the legal language around and just start rolling this out. Be like, OK, guys, like everybody, here you go. Here is the new 21st century. We tried to be evil with artificial intelligence. Yeah. We'll stop. We but promise. here's the compromise for the 21st century. And if you do it proactively, learn from the studio system of the past. You might be able to lock this in place for another hundred years. Mm -hmm. Who knows? So, right. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. I don't business at this level because they don't let me. But, you know. This is how I would business this business. But everybody's happy. Let's move on to something that's causing less universal happiness. The Rick and Morty season seven trailer is out. And Connor, I'm gonna let you step into this mess. Yep, it's it's legit. We've heard the new Rick and Morty actors, allegedly. I have a theory about that. But we, we got fully voiced Rick and Morty minus Justin Roiland. The voices sound, they, they sound like Soundalikes. They sound like copies. They sound like folks who learned how to do Royland's voice on your TikToks and your YouTubes. And if you didn't know that he had left, you might even be tricked into thinking that it's the same guy. Uh, personally, I still feel like there's one more card to be played at this. The voices sound so similar to Royland that if you told me this was 
an AI uh, voice that's made to mock up his, and they're going to do the real reveal in the first episode. That feels like something Rick and Morty would do. I still think they should do this. They should have done the silent episode thing. Just as a middle finger to everybody trying to hope, hey, we finally get the big reveal. Uh, the, the, the show loves to screw with its audience like that. I feel like they could have done that. Um, I think it's a mistake to just do somebody who set, do hire two people who sound like Royland and just try to move on. I thought what they did with Dan Stevens in Solar Opposites was a great take because it was something different, but it still worked for that character. Um, I feel like people, the longer they listen to this, they're going to go, yeah, it's it's just not Royland. So it's not, it, it doesn't have that same spark that he brought to the table. Yeah. I, I feel like they're, I feel like they made a mistake here. I get why in one sense, like, hey, you know, stuff with like animation and lip flaps, a lot of this was probably made before all of the stuff with him came out. And maybe they were like, hey, it's easier for us to just get a sound alike as opposed to recasting because then we have to reanimate some stuff. I don't know. I'm not an animator. But I was a little let down by this. Kofi, how'd you feel about it? Yeah, um, I'm hoping like you that this is a fake out and kind of like there is something else in place. Because if we really do go with this, from what I heard in this trailer, and I've listened to this several times, my eyes open and my eyes closed, then yeah, I mean, it, it is in some ways it is weirdly more distracting because the Dan Stevens thing on Solar Opposites, it was like, Okay, we're distracted for a second, and, you know, then I got used to it after an episode two. And now Dan Stevens is just Corvo, and it's like, you get over it, and mm -hmm. you go with it. And he becomes a new type of Corvo. It's fun. It's even novel. Yeah. This just sounded like, at points, when just specific words or things like that, and I was just like, oh, like, no, that is just a bad Morty imitation and not Morty. And, like, if you're just trying to eventually give... Justin Roiland back his job like and are trying to create the circumstances for that good for you this is a good secret way to do it uh, I don't people, think that will go over necessarily well but no but me. I mean it, but I think it's like are you trying to gaslight us into being the ones who then turn around and be like no we can't stand this bring back the real Morty Rick voices and it's just like I don't know because yeah it, it doesn't sound great it sounds weird and so I would almost hope that they have these fake voices for a minute and then there's like some kind of funny like you said like something that just completely throws in secret surprises if, we there, have if there were ever a voices. show to mess with you like that yeah. it's this one yeah i mean like we said in the beginning and go back and look on our youtube channel one of the first videos we put up was when Royland was exited the show we did a can they survive the show survive without him and i think we went even we went into a deep dive during that discussion about like all the ways this multiverse leaning show could have fun with the idea of different Ricks and Mortys and subbing in two new ones. This is a show where they've killed off their entire universe and moved to a parallel one. At least twice. <laughs> yeah, at least twice. So it, it should all be possible. And if it's not, it's weirdly just almost disappointingly unimaginative within this premise not to do something else. But... I know and, Matt has strong feelings. Is, is it alarming that they never told us who the voice actors are? Well, I think that's kind of what's leaning into the conspiracy theory is if it was just two new actors, you could just like, you know, and you're paying like, you know, straight out of film school voice actors and you just got who can do these voices really well. It'd be easy to just, you know, give them some shine or something. But I'm wondering if therefore there isn't some kind of deeper twist with all the mystery and again mm -hmm. if there's not like it's just be almost more it's gonna be another ralph boner in a way so yeah that and that didn't go over well nope 
Shout out to Merrick. All right. So, Ricky Morty. Matt, any, any takes on this? He laughed when I said he had hard thoughts about this because yeah. he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> no, no thoughts. Okay. No real thoughts. All right. I'm not a big Rick and Morty person. No, yeah, no. That's why I was leaving you out of this mess. If we got the voices from the Power Rangers to do these guys, would that interest you? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I'd give it a watch. All right. But, let's know. move on. We're going down the rabbit hole. So we got a couple movie reviews to do. So Connor and I both went out and saw the cre- the creator. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a fun kind of weird experience for me because there is a lot that's tied. I feel spiritually tied to Gareth Edwards, the director of the creator in a lot of ways. Um, we both came up at the same time. We both helped each other kind of get out there into the industry uh, I was working just building up a little site called Screen Rant back in 2010 when he released this little indie film called Monsters, hmm. which was what put him on the map because it was a film that he designed an entire, again, an entire world. It was a story. Mexico had been walled off because giant monsters came out of the ocean and to keep them away, Mexico basically became like a no man's land and it's about a guy who goes down there to see them. He meets this girl. Anyway, it, it was... One of my first big interviews was interviewing Gareth Edwards at New York Comic Con and talking about anything. And what he said was so interesting and prophetic. It was just about how he loves sci-fi and indie and making his own things and how he's kind of nervous. He would love to do franchise stuff, but he was kind of nervous about doing it. And like he didn't know if it would go over well or be good for him. And then this guy went out and he made Godzilla and he made Rogue One or tried to make Rogue One. Emphasis on tried. Tried. Um, and about there, yeah, we both hit some career turbulence about the same time in the mid-2010s and had some rough years where we uh, disappeared. But now we're back outside, baby. I'm back outside. Gareth Edwards back outside. So I went into the creator. I was really uh, I was really hopeful for this one because it was good to see him after Godzilla, after Rogue One, because he's been in director jail since Rogue One. Yeah. He has not directed a feature film since 2016, which is crazy. So, And he was one of this pack of directors with... Um, Josh Trank, uh, also in Director Dale, uh, Gareth Edwards, and who was the other one? Is Trevorrow in jail? Oh, Colin Trevorrow, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, not quite. He did the Jurassic World right, films. Right, right. But the three of them were the three, like, it kids that were coming out that were gonna, like, change everything because they were guys who knew how to... They were the first group where technology had advanced enough where they could sit with their laptops and, like, some digital or some, you know, handheld digital cameras. Yeah. Oh, and Neil Blomkamp at the oh, same time. Oh, yeah, which is funny you mentioned that name, yeah. but continue. Yeah, because we're talking about Alicia, but um, they all came out and... It was this director school who of self-generating kind of visual effects visionaries that were going to come and they all kind of like hit and crashed and burned in the studio system, which is absurd to think about now. Mm-hmm. But that's all to say Gareth Edwards is back and um, the creator. And there's been a lot of hype around this movie. Some of it generated right here in comicbook.com. Uh, if you watch these commercials, I'm sure you see uh, Brandon Davis's name all over it. But um, yeah, I thought it was an interesting sci-fi vision as Gareth Edwards is able to make. I found the story beats were kind of okay. They were familiar, but also a little muddled. It was kind of very muddled in terms of themes and like character arcs and, and stuff like that. But I liked the vision and the visual effects and all of that were stunning in the world immersiveness and just this whole thing about these robots and these AI life forms and them trying to 
find their own form of freedom was great. Mm -hmm. And it was combined, obviously, with a lot of cultural influences. There's a lot of Far Eastern cultural influence in this movie that blends well in because it's set in New Asia. And there's a whole contextual reason for that. Yeah. But um, it was great. And uh, on that thing. So I don't know if the hype I was in was some of the huge hype for this movie. But I thought it was really well done, entertaining sci-fi tell for people who are going to love that. Like, I mean, this is about for me, I would say it's like the heights of B movies of B movie sci-fi. This is B movie sci-fi with, you know, a premium glaze on it. Sure. Yeah, I don't know if I would put this in my top 10 for the year. I know Brandon was a big fan of what this wound up being. I think visually it's probably the most interesting movie of the year. And we we had the group chat going last night because you saw it and then I finished my screening. And Elysium was the movie that I initially thought of where Neil Blomkamp has this dynamite opener with District 9. And then he tries to follow it up with Elysium. Dude got way too bogged down by the shaky cam for his action scenes. The story's not fully balanced, but it had all of these different sci-fi concepts where he'll throw 10 things at you in the in a span of about five minutes, and you'll go, you can make the whole movie just about that. Yeah, yeah. And, you, and you, you're like, no, I got so much more to show you. And it's like, there's so much visual stimuli in this movie where there are all these different ideas about artificial intelligence, different ways of interpreting technology, great outstanding usage of cgi you've got a ton of characters where the backs of their heads if you look at the poster are basically just mechanical and you're like wait is how much how much of what i'm looking at is real you can't tell at times you're i I was blown away and then you look at the budget for this thing it didn't even crack 100 million and this thing looks worlds better than any marvel movie that's come out this year i will put this up with guardians 3 it looks better than that yep but you're right. The story is a bit bogged down. It goes from, hey, here's my apocalypse now Vietnam allegory to, by the way, we're on a spaceship and LAX is just rocket ships now and we have moon colonies, BT dubs. You don't have to worry about it. You don't see them. And all that happens in a span of about eight minutes. And you go, wait, can someone slow down for a second and tell me what this movie's about? Uh, John David Washington, great. I, I think this dude is a fantastic leading man. He inherited a lot of his acting skills from his dad. Uh, the problem is, is that they bog him down with he's doing the lone wolf and cub thing we've seen in things like Logan, Last of Us, actual lone wolf and cub. Uh, but it's also, hey, I'm the husband who's forlorn because I lost my wife. Maybe she's still alive. I have to go try and find her. So he's got both of those uh, motivations driving him at the same time. And what winds up happening is he's too focused on one to where the other suffers. So the big connection between him and what the the girl i will not spoil what all is going on with her but that connection felt like it took way too long for me to buy into them giving a hoot about each other and that's what i mean about the story is is very muddled like there the character arcs in this aren't like really clear and it's very hard this movie goes out of a lot of out of its way to make it very hard for you to root for somebody Mm. um because john uh john david washington's character like, yeah, it's hard to measure him because he's not really like a good guy. No, he's not. But he's not really like a bad guy. He's very sensitive. And, you know, he has a heart and all this stuff. But there is this complicated centerpiece that we're introduced to at the beginning of the film. And I don't think the film and, and I said to somebody when I came out, it was like I met maybe in our group thread. It was just like this is a thing that I could see happening with Rogue One, too. Mm-hmm. It's like Gareth Edwards and even with monsters in a way. 
Like he has so much in his head, like world building and stuff. But when it comes to the story, like I feel like sometimes it gets away from him, like or he gets lost in the weeds about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because monsters, it's, it's a whole relationship, complicated story about these two people travel. Anyway, and like I, I think a perfect example is with the villain. Like Alice and Janie is fantastic as this just oh, yeah. absolutely diabolical villain. The problem is that they kill her off with about 20 minutes left to go and they go, uh, get Ralph Ineson back in here because he was in one of the opening scenes and have him be the villain for the last little chunk of the movie. And mm. it's like, why didn't we just stick with her? Yeah. Yeah. Which is true. There is some weird kind of like where this movie ends in the epilogues and, and how it all builds up is kind of strange. But uh, no, Alice and Janie is really good in this. And she is a scary she is a scary person like because she's just like not even that arch not even that diabolical she's just like yo this is what we're doing as soon as we touch down ladies machines down and this is like our goal and like and, i am very nonchalant about killing these ai because yeah. to me it's just turning off machines it's not yep. killing anybody yeah and she's like thinks anybody who thinks differently is nuts she's yeah. like what are you talking about what are you crying about like like turn off the computer that's all yeah. we're doing exactly and so it is, uh, like I said, there are some great actors in here. Allison Janney, Ken Watanabe, uh, John David Washington, the person who plays the little robot girl is really, really this good. This is her first role and yeah. she steals and it. she steals it. And yeah, so she's got that golden child. There's a lot of the gold. I never thought about this, but there is some Eddie Murphy golden child in this whole thing. Like when you really kind of well, look down it, on when you get back to it. It's funny because he mentioned like 10 movies that inspired him <laughs> from this one. And it's everything from Apocalypse Now to Akira. And it's like, I see all of this in here. I just wish you had kind of narrowed it down yeah. to just a couple. Yeah. And uh, we're giving Gemma Chan all these complicated roles where we can't, where we barely get any Gemma Chan, though. Like, it's getting weird with this. Yeah, the ending with her doesn't make any sense, because why is... Yeah, no. We, we can get into spoilers, but it doesn't make sense why she's there at the end. Yeah, and like, and, and how that's a payoff is is kind of very weird. So, it is a lot of muddled story ideas, awesome visual effects i do say if you're going to see this it is better to go into a theater and see it because the scope of the visuals are are gorgeous mm -hmm. um and how they how well they hold up on the big screen is also gorgeous so check out the creator if you're a sci-fi fan uh but ironically that was not even my top movie because i did i put myself through the experience of going to a what i call the creator saw uh double feature last night I saw the creator and then I saw Saw X right after that, which, you know, I do this for you guys, by the way. I don't <laughs> I don't do this for myself, but I do this for you guys because we say we're going to cover it all. We want to let you know about it all. So we try to do it all and we sleep in between where we can. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, it turned out that Saw X was my favorite of the two movies last night, which I did not expect. I was like texting my wife. I was like, man, I don't know, man. This is testing my resolve. I don't know if I could go back in and do a whole other movie when it's Saw I don't know if I can do this. And she was like, she gave me a good pep talk. Shout out to Allie. Uh, but I was glad I did. Uh, Saw X, and my review is now up on comicbook.com, uh, is the 10th film. And Saw, if you know anything about this timeline or have ever had it explained to you, it's about right up there with Cable, X-Men's Cable. With, it, like, is there ever Saw a franchise me? that regretted killing off its main character in the third movie? <laughs> the producers say that. They were like, we're, the producers held up their hands during the interviews and said, we're the idiots who killed off this guy in the third movie. We made a big mistake. Yeah, we made a big mistake. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm proud to report that I personally think that the Saw franchise can squeeze at least two more installments out of this using the format that Saw X does. 
Saw X we're, is the we're first. Th- we're three movies past the final chapter. Well, I know. But Saw X is the first movie to really take Tobin Bell's John Kramer Jigsaw and make him the lead character of the movie. Up until now, and until you kind of watch this one, you realize, oh, yeah, like in all the other movies, he's a shadowy supporting character. We see him either in these weird shadowy vignettes or through flashbacks, mostly. Yeah. Um, and every time we learn about him, it's through the point of view of somebody else who encountered him, who usually has to pay the price for something they did because of some flashback during his medical history with his wife and all the tragic things that happened his, to her. His various uh, successors. Yeah, his successors and like meeting in flashback scenes with him teaching them. Like, and so this one actually makes him the centerpiece and it's transforms everything. Like, I'm not kidding, it's transformative. Like, Tobin Bell's a great actor, like Jigsaw, and, and I wrote in the review, I don't think you could have done this before now because a lot of what I feel works about this is having the entire weight of the Saw franchise behind you for the dramatic irony of letting then Tobin Bell, who's now 81, but that works because John Kramer's has cancer. He's getting feeble. He's old. He's he's dying, and so eighty-one-year-old uh, man who is obviously more limited in like what he can do on screen works for this. He has great timing. The fact that he's established this character who measures every word that he says, just lets people talk, and is just kind of eyeing him with that predator eye and kind of toying with them because he knows what they're really about and like watching to see what they do. He's great with the wit and like the timing. He's not like funny. There's no like one liners, but Mm -hmm. he's funny because you know they're talking to Jigsaw and that dramatic irony works so much. So when people are like saying happy things like, hey, I bet you got some great plans tonight, John. And he's sitting there with his notebook. He's just like, just working in my workshop. You're like, oh God, like that's hilarious. But for him, it's just like the stoic, stoic delivery and all that. But because we get it from his perspective, it flips the whole experience because now usually you're rooting for the people in the machines to somehow either survive or you're just a torture porn freak who likes to see them get wiped out. In this, it's flipped around. John Kramer is the anti-hero. So you're kind of rooting for him to punish these people Venom style, like lethal protector style, like these people are horrible. This is about a group who tried to scam him on a cancer treatment. And so you're like, oh yeah, I want them to die. But the movie also takes things back because the saw trap started getting so elaborate and crazy. It was like, nobody could build this or keep it a secret. We did start messing with lasers in part eight. But every trap in this one is practical. It's practical and it's something John Kramer could have built in a remote location in Mexico where this takes place. And it's more about what each test is testing in each person. We get back to the original concept of this, Mm. their lessons. He doesn't want to kill them. He's a sociopath who says, I don't kill anybody. Which doesn't actually track at all. No. Continue. But he lets them have the choice go through this horrible, painful experience and live or die. And each of these tests now is a race. And there's like a clock and you actually have a chance to see, are these people going to make it? And the movie does some really fun tension things with actually investing you in, are these people going to make it? Not really wanting them to necessarily make it, but seeing you know they actually have a chance and some pretty gnarly things happen as people fight to live in this one. Mm-hmm. And so the traps aren't that elaborate, but it's the, it's the mind screw of what he's making them do to pay for what they did and what they have to give up and can they give that up? Sure. 
So this movie does that better. It's not just torture porn. It's actual mind screwing horror. Like, oh my God, would I? Would you do this? Yeah, would you do this to save yourself? And it, and it gets back and it's squeamish for sure. Would you say best since Saw 6 or best since 3? I would say best since Saw 1. Really? Uh, yeah, I think it's better than the I think it's better than the other ones. I think Saw 1 will always be the best, but I think this one's the best because again, it puts you with Kramer and I think that's massively better than seeing random people who you know to be scumbags trying to survive traps and going from their POV is not nearly as strong as being in the killer, being with the killer and seeing his methodology in uh, kind of unfold and being with Kramer. It's in Tobin Bell, it makes it so much better. Like, See, I, I would put the original Saw trilogy up with any horror franchise. And that's just me. No, I know I like not everybody's it. for it. No, I, I like Saw it. too, yeah. And I love Saw too. And I think three would have been a great finale if that's where they actually had stopped it. Yeah, no, no doubt. But there's also things in this that feed into, and there are some surprise appearances. There's a post-credit scene that feed into the legacy of like helping you understand the larger Saw franchise and like how much John meant to like his disciples, how much the work meant, why they can. And this is a chapter that shows you in a weird way why they went and continued in as a and it have it into their minds as a righteous mission that shouldn't stop yeah um but the ending is kind of funny because they do have to do this ending where they made john the hero and so there's this kind of like literal walk into the sun sunlight ending and they're like that's a mass murder <laughs> like this is still kind of absurd but other than that saw x really fun um and yeah this franchise i would watch more if they bring back tobin bell don't do any more of these spinoffs where you're just trying to use the name jigsaw we've seen that doesn't work no nah. so finally mighty pups took my family to see Lord. the mighty pups the paw patrol movie <laughs> if i had to see that trailer one more time i was gonna vomit this <laughs> <laughs> so it's a good movie. It's cute. Moving on to something else. Cute little movie. More intense than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Uh, it's very much a sky movie. So for all the sky fans out there, this is a sky centric movie. And yeah, there's even by the end, there's the parts that I was tearing up a little bit. And you know, they take some of the Paw Patrol's most iconic lines and they, and they put some real deep feels behind them in this movie. There is a whole kind of like. There's, this one's a little bit more adult than I thought for a Paw Patrol movie. Um, the first one had a lot to do with Chase and, you know, I've seen that movie a million times and Chase finding his place and finding his courage and not being scared of the traumas of his past. This one's about Skye and kind of her feeling like she's the runt and, you know, how the world overlooks you if you're smaller or insignificant and her kind of misguided attempts to overcome that. But uh, yeah, man, there's some uh, serious stuff in here, but also there's a bunch of pups being superheroes which the kids love so um, uh so this might ember literally like a week ago just got into paw patrol um and she's like watching them and stuff is this like a little too old for her is this a good one okay no, one to start no, with no, no. It, it's just it's only when i say it's intense it's emotionally intense in the sense that like there are some down points emotionally for the characters and okay. yeah, there's a finale that is kind of like it, it it's like superhero movie blockbuster third act like the stakes are pretty oh. high and you're like oh somebody might actually die in this but in the end parents it's okay everybody comes through and there's good talking points for the kids to say hey you know 
you can believe in yourself, like all that stuff. But uh, it's gets kind of harrowing uh, towards the end. They make this a real superhero movie <laughs> by the end. So <laughs> that's Down awesome. to a giant okay, kaiju excited. humdinger. You know, there's a giant kaiju mayor humdinger as uh, in the finale. So, uh, yeah, Mighty Pups, good thing. And, I mean, they're already betting it. They're already starting to work on the third. My kid's already signed up for the third. I'm like, bro, you're going to be eight by then, by the time this comes out. And he still wants his advance ticket. So, mm. for all the parents, yeah, the Mighty Pups, if you've been bothered this whole time, it's good. You'll get to sit through it. I zoned out where I needed to zone out in the middle for a while and came back at the end and all that. So, check it out. We are going to take a break, but then when we come back, we are going to try to speed through this last half of the show because we still got a lot to do. We got to talk about Gen V. We got to talk about uh, our bonus episodes that are coming for Castlevania and Power Rangers. We got to drop some Ahsoka theories before this finale, and we have two big comics to talk about. Be sure to tune in for all of it. This is Comic Book Nation. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Welcome back to Comic Book Nation, the only show that does it all for geek culture. If you miss the first half of this show... We did a lot talking about the Paw Patrol movie, Saw X, The Creator, the end of the WGA strike, that's the writer strike, and Rick and Morty's new voices. Now, in the second half of our show, let's talk about Gen V. So, <clears throat> I'm saying the word so a lot. <clears throat> uh, Gen V, the spinoff of the Boys series, uh, you know, one that we also launched this show kind of in getting into early, The Boys, when it premiered. So we've been here for the whole boys ride, really. Uh, pause. And uh, Gen V is a spinoff that focuses on a Vought-sponsored university for soups and a new set of characters who are these younger... It's basically New Mutants for the boys, right? Kind of. It's it's My Hero Academia for the boys. Yeah, yeah. I, new I think mutants. the right... The right well, comparison. I mean, New Mutants was a school in right. the beginning. So, I mean, I don't know. But anyway, this is what it is. What did you guys think? Uh, I tweeted out that... You know, it, every time I take a break from the boys' universe, I forget that it is, like, what it's like in the boys' universe. And so, yeah, the opening of this... Three minutes, Kofi. Three minutes it took was, three like, yeah, minutes was a quick reminder. Before I shouted, we're back, baby! And I was Holy like, hell. oh, my God. Like, yeah. It's this show isn't these shows are impossible to recommend to people without sounding like a serial killer. It's like, no, it's cool. He punched him in the gut and then his fist was in his mouth, and it's like, you are insane. Yeah. But it's also a good show. Yeah. Um 
Yeah, we've all seen the X-Men's horrible coming of age power manifestation as a metaphor for puberty and all that stuff. But you've never seen it quite like this, I promise you. <laughs> yeah. In the beginning of this show. So, yeah, I got through the first episode. I'm halfway through the second. I think there's three episodes, but... It, uh, yeah, I got to take this in small doses. Three episodes is a lot. The first episode was a lot to take in. Um, and I think I tweeted out, whenever one of these boys universe shows starts introducing me to a shrinking character, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I am out. Yeah. Like, I'm just fast forwarding it. I thought they ran out of stuff after the last season of The Boys. <sighs> they didn't. <laughs> God, like, yeah, I'm fast forwarding any shrinking power parts because this... yeah, they saw that as a license to go. No, no, we need more. <laughs> we <laughs> need more of that. If nothing else, this series makes me amazed at how much they can get away with in modern TV now. Yeah. It is insane, right? So all the gore aside, like I was worried about this show. Like you're taking away Homelander, Huey, Butcher the cast that we had grown to love over the first three seasons and i'm like do you have enough the answer is yes because they don't stop with all of the social commentary they just kind of di direct it in a different direction and i love the fact that the main cast of heroes it's not like the boys where you're just holding your breath saying how is this per how is this hero a terrible person what perversion right. do they have how are they awful and the answer is actually none of them. All these all these heroes are actually, you know, pretty solid. And it didn't hit me until after the third episode. They're, they all have villains powers. You've got a bloodbender, you've got Magneto, you've got a shapeshifter, and you've got a mind controller. This could be the easiest cast of villains ever. And they're all heroes. And I dig that. And I think it's it, it doesn't go for the low-hanging fruit of, hey, it's college, let's do the drugs, the sex, the partying, and just make it Van Wilder, but every 20 minutes somebody blows up violently. No, we're actually right. going after some interesting topics. And I, I don't know how far we can get into spoilers on those first three episodes, but I like that it's actually a mystery this time around. It's not just, oh, this one's a monster, how do we stop him? It's, yeah. no, what, what's really going on at this school? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. And there's some cameos. I mean, there's some acting things. I did not know. I did not know Schwarzenegger's kid was that's, Golden that's Boy. Patrick, yeah. yeah. That's crazy. I didn't know that was Schwarzenegger's son. And I also didn't recognize my boy from the 2000s. Sean Patrick Thomas is back in here as uh, Andre, as Magneto's dad. I didn't realize that. I was like, I saw him and I was like, why is that guy so familiar? And then I looked at the credits. I was like, not Sean P. Hmm. Oh, man. Save the last dance, baby. That's how it got me. Oh, uh, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, I agree. I look, I agree wholeheartedly. I think um I think it's interesting. I agree with Kofi on the sense that I'm I typically am one for binging a lot of shows. Like I like I I tend to like that format for streaming. However, Boys is a show that I actually have to take kind of one episode at a time because I just it it's a lot. I love it. I adore it. But it's a lot, that show, <laughs> for a couple in a row. It puts me in a, like, a dark place and I need yeah. to, like, watch, yeah. you know, like, old episodes of Gummy Bears and stuff to, like, get out of that, right? So, um, for this, though, I appreciate the... It is nice. I actually like the new breath of life that the new cast brings in. Uh, it's just... It, it makes the world... I don't know. There's a, there's a fun spark to it and uh, uh, not knowing so many things about these characters, especially because, you know, when you follow the main show, you're following the books in a lot of ways. And so for people who have read some of that, you, you know, what's coming and, and, and this just don't read the books. That's my flavor in that regard. That. Um, so yeah, I, I, I dug this a lot. I, I will say I had to take it in 
like that premiere in pieces. Like I didn't, I didn't watch it all at once. Uh, I was, I was very much like, I'm good. Next time, just one. Fine. Let's drop one. We're good. <laughs> there's no, you know, there's no, to me, typically when it's a multi episode premiere, it's because it needs to do enough things in that first episode to set it up and leave you feeling satisfied after watching a two episode arc or something like that. You need to get the full picture. I didn't need that here. I was good after one. I was no, sold. You, you really could have so. just done the one episode premiere for this. Oh one. yeah. It, yeah, it no. leaves on such a cliffhanger. It does the Vegeta thing from Boo Saga. If that's a hint. No, oh, I know what that means. You know what that means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't get it. So that's me. I feel like Captain America, but the anti of like I did not get that reference. You did not get that reference, but you I should. Did not man, get that reference. You should ha- sit your kid down, have him watch Dragon Ball Z start to finish. This that's good parenting. But anyway, um, also I, I last thing on this, I kind of like how it's a it's a generational commentary. Oh yeah, how it's all of the heroes who willingly took compound v are monsters they're terrible people but the generation that the world molded as a result of the previous generation's decisions all the kids are all right they're, they're like no we actually want to do this for the right reasons yeah and a lot of that centers around our main our main hero and she she nails it oh no she's yeah no she's great uh and we didn't shout her out uh jazz sinclair, sinclair as yeah. marie moreau which yeah. is a hell of a superhero name yeah. love the alliteration and she I mean, they give her a very complicated kind of, I mean, like we said, right from the shocking opening, there's a very complicated character here, but she plays it very well. And she's very likable, like just in that first episode, like of her and she's like dangerous and she's a badass. And so it's, and she's a bloodbender, which is so funny because yeah, they, there's a scene where she's talking about, you know, to Clancy Brown and she's just and he's talking because he's like the academic head and he's just trying to figure out where she would be good in this scheme because you forget this is all media controlled, corporate mm-hmm. controlled thing. And they're like, yeah, that's not going to play in the Midwest when you're a bloodbender. Like, yeah, you can't be a hero. And so poor- we're kind of like, I am kind of interested to see how they play with this perspective because as you said, conspicuously, these are all villain powers, you know, but as you've also said, this is like, what does a villain mean compared to a generation of quote unquote heroes who are some of the worst people in existence. It's like, if you're gonna do the rebel thing and you're gonna be something different than them, then you might be looked at as outlaws or here or villains as opposed to but you just might. And I would love to see these kids lean into it and be like, you know, screw this older generation as a metaphor. They're like, screw this older generation. They're gonna get us all wiped out. Like mm-hmm. we're gonna do things our way. And if they have a problem, they can come see us outside. Like, you Which, know, we'll drop you a location. And right? that's that's the best thing this franchise ever did was it shed the politics of the original book, which was all Bush administration. Season two is smack dab in the middle of, hey, here's what are the current talking points are. Homelander's basically Trump by the end of season three. And now we're doing this. And it's like, no, this this is how a franchise like this thrives for a decade is by hitting the current topics. Yep. So, I mean, it's a lot to take in, literally in some cases, but uh, it it is an exp- it's a good expansion of the boys universe. I don't feel like this is a cash grab or some cheap knockoff of the boys or anything. It feels like a natural and interesting expansion of the universe so i'll be tuning in and we'll be doing our gen v recaps right here every friday let me tell you something matt any other closing thoughts no no i mean i think you guys said it best 
All right, I'm not going to say too long. Um, I like Castlevania Nocturne, and that's what I'll say. I want to get into some of the finer points, because there were some things I did not expect to get from that series. Yeah. But uh, me, Connor Casey, and Nick Valdez from the comic book anime team will take you on a deep dive journey into good old Castlevania Nocturne and uh, where that leaves things and what's going on with that franchise after this show. But uh, thought it was pretty. I thought it was pretty okay. It's all right. It's it's not as good as how Castlevania started. Um, but we'll, we'll obviously get into in the spoilers. But I would say watch it just for the sake of. I think it's going to get really interesting with part two. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, real interesting part two, and there's going to be a lot to talk about with part one. Fans are already kind of getting in and buzzing about certain things. And then our producer, Peter, is even feeling some kind of way about this. So, shout out to Peter. All right. Also, uh, Matt, you want to just plug your Power Rangers Cosmic Fury thing? Change things up a little bit? Yeah, also with uh, the great Nick Valdez, uh, me and him are just going to geek out about Power Rangers Cosmic Fury, which hit today. Uh, It's available to stream on Netflix, and uh, boy, oh, boy, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, a ton, actually. And uh, so, yeah, make sure to tune in there for that when it hits. All right. We kept your look, guys. We're keeping your weekend thick with some bonus episodes. So that's that's our gift from us to you. Anybody has any thoughts about Ahsoka episode eight, the finale that we're going to be getting to in a few days? Is there are they going to be able to stick this landing or are we going to are we going to be satisfied by the time this thing ends or anybody um, feeling better or worse since our recap episode? The more I think about it, the more I think Ahsoka will either be dead or indisposed after this episode. Ooh, I, I think, yeah, I think the... we're going forward without her. And I've I think been... that's what justifies it being called Ahsoka, because otherwise this is just Rebels. It's interesting you say that. You've been the big proponent of that theory, whereas I've heard a lot of other people be like, oh, this is going to be a simple, just everybody gets back to the galaxy, and that's that. And you think there's going to be a sacrifice with Ahsoka that involves Ahsoka. So I'm, I'm very interested. Also, that one scene, I don't know if you guys, people have made memes about it already, but that scene in the chase scene with Ezra and Sabine, people, people caught it. Star Wars fans are on it. There's a point where Sabine leans over to shoot out of the car, and uh, somebody caught where Ezra's eye line was. Uh-oh. And let's just say the eye line check matches up with where most of our eye lines have been for most of this show. <laughs> so it's going to be sad when Ahsoka. Kofi, that's ridiculous. Hera Ahsoka wasn't in away. that scene. <laughs> no, it wasn't Hera. It's just, it's all over the place, man. It's just, the show's crazy. We're going to be in Star Wars glutes, uh, <laughs> you know. Gotta wow. love it, Star Wars glutes. Uh, yeah, you just saw it again. Did you see the scene <laughs> in the footage right there? You'll see it when Sabine leads over. I'll show you the meme after this off oh, camera, but like, oh, no, people me. put it together. It's so good because Ezra's like trying to drive the car, but he's leaning over and looking, and he's just like, oh yeah, man. Shout out to brown pants. All right, <laughs> I think that we are going to get some kind of twist. I, I I'm really curious to see what happens with Balin's skull. Uh, oh, Peter, I, there. I, yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank, thank you, you Peter. Very much, yeah, there it is. See. See, one second of footage, and there it is, and our producer is right on it. Check that eye line. All right. This is why you got to wow. watch the show live with us every every Friday, because if you're just listening on audio, we cannot convey some of the gravity of all this to you. But Kofi, um, I just read a crazy bit of news. What's that? That's nuts. Las Vegas police have made an arrest in the 1996 drive-by shooting of Tupac Shakur. <laughs> Took you long enough. Wow. What? What? Where did that come from? (laughs) As AP Associated Press reporting that. That is, wow. I just did not have that on my 
bingo card today. That's nuts. Yeah, yeah. So, nothing else right yeah. now. Wow. But that's just that's kind of insane. A guy who shot Tupac, man. Oh, well, Comic Book Nation didn't figure we'd be uh, sitting up here for that, but that's a live show. That is insane. Yeah. But it's it's weird to arrest him like for a man for a killing like, when Tupac is alive. Books and so, books and books about like all the theories and everything that circulated that and all the witness things. That's insane. All the Dave Chappelle One of the top comments. This is going to turn into one of the hell of a Netflix doc. Yes. They start talking. Oh, it's please. coming. Oh, oh yeah, you know it's, it's coming. There's already, there are already ones that now who are who shot Tupac. was just, I just saw that on like stream yeah. the other day. The production team yeah. behind that docuseries is pissed. Get the guys who did Murdoch murders to do this one, because that shows. Yeah. Great. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. We need to. Yeah. We need the Murdoch murder guys to come come in and do this. But uh, that's 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 crazy. How do you know you're gonna be the deadest guy in jail? Uh, probably you shot Tupac. All right. So that bit of history well, from 1996, where I was running around a track, now ends here. I and, was three. Uh, and uh, I was in high school running running track in early high school and uh, thinking about how I'd be sitting here with three-year-old Connor Casey and uh, talking about people shrinking down and do dirty stuff on I TV. I have opinions. So, yeah, life. Life is funny. But uh, thank you, Matt, for that live update. And uh, yeah, this is, this is crazy. This is what we do when we're live on this show. But uh, getting back to the geek culture of it all that we wish Tupac had seen, uh, let's talk about, are we on comics now? Yeah, we're on comics. Wait, you had one more Ahsoka thing that you wanted to say. I don't even remember anymore. I think she's going to find Tupac in that universe uh-huh. when, when, when she's left behind. She'll find the secret power in the planet Balin Skull was looking for. He'll hear a beat. This- this was like, the gonna find the hologram. This was the dopest song he, he wrote in '94. Soka will reach out in the forest and hear "Remember Me" <laughs> and be like, "What is this power in the in the middle of the planet?" And we'll just I love see. That album. I told you, face, stop hitting the <laughs> shiny, gleaming nose ring, just beaming in the light of the force of the world between worlds. It'll be the Tupac, but is it the hologram Wait, or does, the force ghost of Tupac? Does that mean Biggie's a Sith? Is that what we're getting oh, at? Oh, stop it. Okay. Hey, stop it. Stop it before, yeah, before we rekindle the East Coast, West Coast war. Um, <laughs> all right. So we will be here for the recap of the Ahsoka finale. Be sure, because I know we're going to have a lot to discuss after, after this, because there's going to be a lot to discuss. But uh, Matt, why don't you take us into comics? Yeah, so uh, we finally got the conclusion of the four-issue limited Ultimate Invasion series that brings back or was setting out to bring back the Ultimate Universe. Obviously, we're going to get into spoilers here, uh, so I can tell you that, hey, it did, (laughs) in a way, in a very weird and long way. Uh, So, you know, it's always funny on this show when, like, I'll I'll bring a book in and I already know, like, the reaction is going to be like, oh, my God, that was so long. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I, I had that myself, actually, because uh, about 25% of the way through this book, I went, oh, my God, this is really long. <laughs> this is so long. I I just need stuff to, like, happen. Uh, I we, we do get a new universe, kind of. We, we've seen the maker essentially create his own universe, and then that kind of turned into a war between him and Kang. And so that final battle happens here. Um, but then you have, you know, Howard Stark in the in the middle of it and, and changing, changing things. Reed Richards, this mast, you know, kind of having to do all the things that, you know, 
the evil Reed has wanted to kind of punish him and, you know, got found ways to remove the other Fantastic Four from this reality and things like that, right? So he's done all these things to Reed, but we have this masked Reed that's kind of helping Howard. And then that kind of transitions into Tony and kind of Tony taking the baton from that. The the promise of how we get there is kind of messy to me. And I, I just never really like it. It didn't click how we get to that point. But when we get to the final pages and like the setup for a new, a new team of heroes to kind of take the baton moving forward, that's kind of interesting. It's a different lineup, right? It's this, it is cap, but it's iron lad. It's not iron man. It's this Tony that has a different view of his dad. And then we also have this older Reed. (laughs) And so if that's the makeshift group of heroes going forward, that's kind of interesting, but I look at this whole thing and just go like, did we, did we need this? I don't know. I don't, I, this issue didn't do enough and this series didn't do enough to really convince me that we did. Uh, so that, that's kind of where I leave. It's kind of in the middle, you know, I don't tend to like to be well, super Matt, negative. Let, let, let me stuff, ask you this. I just, that's where, that's where I am. But what did you guys think? Let, let me ask you this. Cause uh, as someone who didn't read it, cause I hated the idea of Marvel uni- of the ultimate universe coming back. Mm-hmm. In the grand scheme of things, does this miniseries matter, or was this Hickman just playing around, and th- this won't this won't amount to much in a year? Well, I have no. the The problem is that it doesn't, in and of itself, it doesn't answer that question. Okay. Like it, it kind of depends on whether they Marvel picks up the ball and actually publishes multiple series based in this world. The world's there. He did all the framework. So the world that is considerably changed up, but familiar enough is there if someone wants to play in that playground. But uh, there's just no word yet on what their plans, their bigger plans for that are. Well, we know. So it's just kind of like, you know, if it sits here dormant for two years and there's only been like one miniseries, then I'll look at it and go, yeah, it wasn't. I don't know what that was. I don't know what that was. We know there's one Um, thing. So we'll kind of have to see. We know that Hickman's doing Ultimate Spider-Man, and it'll be kind of built out of this. Yeah, which is great unto (laughs) itself, but like they establish a lot here. I will be interested if we get a new Ultimates book. That would be the one to me that like kind of justifies the existence of this. Yeah, I skimmed this several times, and I don't think I'm ever going to read it, read it, because I can't. (laughs) It's just, this is like one of the, the... I'm going to be honest, like this in that whole kind of crossover where Blade woke up in the Squadron Supreme world and like that whole oh, thing. Oh, yeah. Like, Jason Aaron's. Yeah, thing. Jason Aaron's thing. Like these alt universe things are just getting out of hand and like getting they're not consequential feeling to me. And this felt like this was supposed to be like the return of the ultimate universe. I still can't tell you what the hell this series was about. Like I have no clear through line for what this was and i've read what four issues of it yeah i have no idea like from just the way it was written and some of the pages made it hard and digital particularly to read this series because there's a lot of splash pages that go across like doubles um but yeah like who the players were who was i supposed to care about and it was weird because the first issue was such like a straight up straightforward premise setting issue where the maker breaks out of jail and breaks out of the universe. Yeah. What happened afterwards? I don't I don't freaking know what happened afterwards. Like Hickman, this was like a passion project. And if this was what Hickman looks like with passion, pure passion, 
keep more restraints on him. That's a good thing. Like it's like a Zack Snyder thing, right? Like did, did it have enough charts and graphs for a Hickman no, book? No, oh, I oh think charts goodness. and graphs would have helped me through some of this. Like nothing. This was fifty-six pages. Yeah, no With diagrams, no graphs, <laughs> no. no nothing. It's, yeah. it's but it's weird because like. And still, I'm I'm unclear. Like, there's a Howard Stark that exists somewhere, but how this version of the Ultimate Universe and what it is, how Howard Stark's here after being killed and re-killed a million times, how the Maker's here, but there's this version of Kang out there causing a war that never really feels epic at all or like a war with Kang, and Doctor Doom is a Reed Richards, the Maker's a Reed Richards. Like, there's... There's so many like variants and weird pivotal characters that like have gotten lost in the Marvel multiverse for explaining who they are and how they are involved in this. Then he builds a whole other world with like this controlling faction of heroes and their game of sometimes being the bad guys, sometimes being the good guys. So there's a whole mythos there. And it's just like, this was a lot. And I didn't care about any of it. None of it since the first issue made me want to care. I don't care anything if this whole 16 whatever universe disappears and never comes back again i would not give a damn like there's nothing that yeah. made me not one character out of here made me go "Ooh, i want this character back the only thing i would want back is the maker like himself and that's about it yeah i now brian would i look i respect i know there's gonna be a lot of i i knew after reading this going like it's going to be divisive because there is going to be like a group that really likes it and so it's going to be a divisive issue and honestly the whole ultimate universe returning has been kind of divisive unto itself like there's a whole group of people that go like why is this here and then there's another group of people that like missed it and wanted back ultimate spider-man is one of my favorite comic series of all time it is fantastic like that brian michael bendis in that have a signed copy i went and got it signed okay like i i love that series so i i hope and i think that will ultimately that could be a huge part of like making this worth it if that series is great um same way with ultimates um but i just yeah this just didn't this didn't click for me um now moving over to a book that very much did click for me and for a lot of the reasons like kofi illuminated kind of like that the first issue of this was a very like it had its mission directive and it went directly at that the entire issue and it delivered to me penguin number two does that as well it is <laughs> i i really enjoyed the first issue of penguin but man the second issue oh my god like this was this whole issue is literally penguin trying to get <laughs> like the help of the help that's what he's trying to do he's trying to recruit and it doesn't go as he plans and it's about how Penguin makes things happen and why the fear, why there's that aura of trepidation and fear around him. That first issue delved into that a lot, but this one delves into it in a more, you know, visceral, brutal <laughs> way. And there's a there's a lot of back and forth dialogue, but the conversations are always captivating to me. I, I was glued. Like this one went by in a breeze and 
you know, by the end, like I'm excited to see where this goes. I, I, I love this series two issues in. So um, for me, this was the, I read this after I read the second <laughs> and that was good. Cause I needed like a cleanser, <laughs> like a palate cleanser. So uh, what'd you guys think? I mean, I was the opposite. I read this first and it set a real high standard. Um, this was oh, the best yeah. kind of Tom King who we just shout out to Tom King, who was on the show last week. Um, it, what he does the best, like this was up there. I'm starting to believe in this series, like Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow style, like character portrait, because it's taking a character that's had kind of a muddled or weird identity in DC lore as either not a joke, but like not a serious, serious character. And it's showing you why this character deserves respect, why he or she's been around and what makes their character unique. Um, the first issue of Penguin, I think the difference between Penguin issue one and Penguin issue two is in issue one, it's all about people telling you why Oswald Cobblepot the Penguin is such a frightful, dangerous, one of the most dangerous men in the world. I mean, they literally are just say, sitting around saying that. But he's restrained. He's in this new life and he is restrained. He gets pulled back in and now he's got to become Penguin again. And it's only at the very end that we see him become Penguin again. Um, and this issue, this is a straight up just, this is how Penguin works from like beginning to end. This is how Penguin does what he does. This is how this man builds criminal empires and gets enslaved, not enslaved, but like ropes, coerces people in Kingpin style to his side, except where Kingpin makes you ask, Penguin doesn't make you ask. Penguin <laughs> tells you like, you're on my hook. And that's where you're going to be. And that's how you're going to do things. And you got to eat that. And this was just by the numbers, like, great. Whenever you think Penguin doesn't have the upper hand, it's like the end of seven. And this it's like John Doe has the upper hand. And whenever you think he doesn't, like, the man is methodical and ruthless about just solving problems and getting what he wants. And like in this issue, just illustrates that in a single bottle issue better than like so many other comics could do over an entire story arc and the finale in this and the payoff is like one of the best i've ever seen in a comic story when he finally kind of turns the tables and his last line to this guy is just one of the most at once despicable but like harrowing and like victorious kind of lines that i've ever heard like you think you're Oh, you got it. You know, you got you accepted help from the help. You're not the help, like you are the help. And just, yeah, like this made Penguin into a boss in my in my mind. And if I ever, this is almost like up there with those one bad days. If I ever had to convince somebody like who's arguing that Penguin's like a lame villain, like why is Penguin awesome? I would just hand them this single issue and be like, read this. Is Matt still there? Did we lose Matt? Am I muted? I'm muted. Sorry. A hundred percent. I, I got to say, it was also nice to just see the help being used. Um, you know, he would, he made his debut over in killing time. Uh, and so bringing him into this and, and all that's a cool character and hit him and penguin together. It's going to be a, a great mix. This has, this issue has so many memorable moments. Um, I couldn't read one more. Connor, did you read this one? I did not. You did. I did not. I was oh, okay. too busy binging television and movies yesterday. No worries. Um, real quick before we head out, uh, Batman Beyond Neo Gothic number three is also out. Again, that 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 series is just doing some 
fantastic stuff, especially like if this one gets some kind of history in with like John Constantine and some other things. Fantastic. And then uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers number 112. That's Darkest Hour. Uh, that's the new issue of Darkest Hour. And there's some for longtime fans of the show. Uh, the comics have done a really good job of like taking very small, tiny things that like made one appearance in the show or two appearances and fleshing them out and doing whole like sagas with them. This one sets up another one of those. Uh, so I am very excited for that. We'll probably mention that in the bonus episode too, but that's comics. All right. And that'll do it for this regular show. This is comic book nation. As I said at the start, be sure to follow us on our YouTube page, comicbook.com and comic book, all one word. It's comic book dash nation on YouTube. And you can subscribe to your favorite podcast platforms. Comic book, all one word nation is the name of the show. Be sure you do because we do this live show every Friday, and this is our catch-all, but we are putting out multiple bonus episodes a week. And as I said, this week along, alone has four episodes. We have our Soka Episode 7 recap. This, our regular episode with our Gen V, uh, Saw X, and the creator reviews. Then we're going to be doing a deep dive, full spoilers discussion on Castlevania Nocturne, uh, all eight of those episodes. And Matt is going to jump in and do Power Rangers Cosmic Fury after that. So... There's a lot to do. Be sure you're subscribed. Be sure you're on point. Be sure you know what we're doing. And be sure you're watching live every Friday. Because as we saw that Star Wars video breakdown, sometimes you want to be here to see what we're looking at. So, thank you guys for joining in. As always, if you want to talk to me out there, I am at Kofi Outlaw. I am at Connor KCCB. And uh, stay tuned for a little bit of an announcement I have to make next week. Uh, but don't worry, guys. I ain't leaving this show. That's very ominous. And I am at Matt Aguilar CB. Ominous, but good. Good news. Yeah. And shout out to Janelle Wheeler on her travels. Uh, we miss you. Looking forward to you getting back and talking everything about Ahsoka, Loki, and all that other favorite stuff that you were doing. Keep those good Star Wars uh, location, location Easter eggs coming. We're enjoying those. <laughs> this is Comic Book Nation. We'll see you guys out there and on our bonus episodes, hopefully. Peace. Later.